If, um, if you're not familiar with the podcast that we do each time we do this uh, portion discussion, Bellator is in the iTunes store. Search for that. It does work now. Thank you, Peter, Gregory, and everybody else in Saudi class. It says that the last one was March 9th, Vayechel Pikudei, 57.73. So everything that Greg talked about then is here, and you can grab that and go with that. Um, if you look at old episodes, it turns out that we go all the way back to Bereshit 57.72, which was October 22nd, 2011. And every time we met, it's here, and you can just uh, listen in. It helps on the off weeks. In addition to that, the uh, Men of Torah blog is online, uh, podcast, and uh, that's an amazing thing now, too. So we praise God for that. How many teachers do we have inside um, well, we normally have about 20 or 23 guys, and uh, so far, and we're waiting for Jerry to step up. But, uh, once Jerry steps up, we've got about we got about 15 teachers that are regularly stepping up and uh, elucidating the scriptures for us. So I praise God for that. It's not uh, it's not just one guy getting up every single week. So praise God for that. If um, a couple of announcements. Um, first and foremost, and probably most important in my life right now, the little girl that's sitting on the floor is one year old today. That's Sophia Ruth Bartos, one year old. Already a Torah scholar. Unbelievable. Secondly, the young man in the corner here with the white kippa on is actually now a purple belt in karate. He is taking gigs for personal security anytime after Havdalah. So there it is. That's right. I tell you what. Watch out. These, uh, these Spurlock men, good men. I've got uh, an announcement. Well, not an announcement, just a couple of comments I'd like to Let's hear your comments. Uh, the first is there's <clears throat> there's someone that I've got to just uh, give some um, recognition to. This is a really stand up guy, and uh, he continues to. Uh, just impressed me with his character and whatnot. Um, but I was having, I've had some conversations with him, you know, in the last few days, and uh, he's he's coming to uh, one of our seders this week, and he calls me. And he's like, he's like, he's like, you know, what do I bring? I said, don't worry, don't don't bring anything. No, no, no what do I? I got to bring something. What do I bring? <clears throat> okay, fine. Bring some wine. Just make sure it's kosher wine. What? Uh, kosher for Passover wine. <laughs> what do we get that, that conversation about that? Right. <clears throat> so this this uh, young man um, is Mr. Ryan Adamchik. And he, as you guys know, it's hard for him to get around, right? I mean, he's, he's, he's got a disability, but he went out of his way to go try to track down a couple of bottles of kosher for Passover wine. Hard to bring to my Savior. Okay. So I hear this story. He hasn't even told me this personally. I heard this through my son. I hear this story yesterday that 
he had gone to um, to uh, what do you call it? Uh, Taj Matweener. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he got to, to Taj Matweener to and found some wine or whatever. And he's he you know most of you know he, he can't drive because of his disability. So he either takes the bus somewhere or he walks or whatever. So he's walking back home. His, his cell phone rings. It's one of his clients. Well, it's important, especially to understand the kind of work he's in. So he's got. He's, he's only got, you know, full use of one hand, so he's, he takes the wine and he sticks it under his arm and he answers the phone and he's talking to his client. And he has this conversation and then as he's continuing to walk and talk and whatever, uh, long story short, the wine slips out of his his arm, both bottles hit the concrete there on the side of Providence Road or wherever it was, and they break. Okay. Now, the effort for him to go through all of that hassle just to get a couple bottles of wine, only to have them fall and break. And, you know, it, for the average person, it would have been a really good excuse to kind of get upset and, you know, whatever. And what did he do? He, rather than choosing to do that, they drop, they hit them, they break open, there's wine all over the ground, and he says, Lachine! <laughs> Story, I was just really blessed. Just knowing the effort that went through, only to have that happen, but yet his attitude was just. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good man. He is. He's a good guy. I got four bottles of wine. Oh man. Other. Uh, other comments. We are blessed, of course, to have Show Show with us. Rick's mother, in case you guys don't know, she's the attractive woman in the corner. <laughs> Youngest <laughs> person here, other than so. <laughs> That's right. Speaking of Ryan, he came in uh, to the Tzadi class a couple of weeks ago and he had a brand new Bible. And I collect handguns, wine, Bibles. <laughs> And uh, which which all really seem to go together. I, I found um, this is the uh, Shared Heritage Bible, Messianic Jewish Shared Heritage Bible. This is the uh, fine leather edition, and uh, it's got uh, the public domain Jewish Publications Society 1911 edition for the Tanakh. Uh, but the New Testament or Apostolic Scriptures are actually uh, Tree of Life version, which they wrote themselves. And uh, aside from the normal stuff that we see with the tenses in Hebrews, with just about every English version out there, um, it really is pretty cool. I, um, I am enjoying reading it, and I want to encourage you that as you're reading the uh, Scriptures that you swap translations. You will see so many new things and you get so many new insights, if you'll just read from a version you don't normally read from. Mm-hmm. You may be a verse to the King James, because it's so the and thou and old English for you. Give it a shot. Try the new King James. <laughs> NIV. Even the message. I mean, just try something. Especially the message. Especially the message, you know. Give, this, give it a shot so that at least if some, if you, you may hear someone quote something from a version you are unfamiliar with. And you may be able to bring some insight because you're familiar with this bad translation. Or you may get some insight from some of the very good translations 
uh, that are in fact out there. This is the the uh, second portion in the book of Vayikra or Leviticus and uh, we closed the last time we met with a problem the problem was that God had desired to dwell among us and had told us how we could affect having him in the midst of the camp we've already received some special indication that we need to watch out with uh, how we walk and uh, where, when we need to use the facilities and stuff. These need to be outside the camp because the Most Holy God is going to be dwelling in the midst of us. So these types of things are an amazing thing that the Creator of the universe would actually choose to dwell among us. We see this also in the opening of the book of John. But with the bad news, last time we looked at the end of the book of Exodus book of Shemot, the book of names, was that even though Moses and the people had done everything exactly according to the word of the Lord, it turned out that it worked. And God was actually able to dwell amongst us in the midst of the camp. The problem is that when he was there, we couldn't get in to talk with him. We couldn't get in there to see him. Couldn't get in there to worship him appropriately. We could not draw near. And the book of Ayikra opens with the opportunity for us to effect a covering that would allow us to draw near while we're in this state here. First five chapters of uh, Vayikra, all about the first five types of sacrifices. I wouldn't want to sit on the floor either. Um, and uh, chapter 6 opens up with Parashat Tzav for today this is the law of the elevation offering and so on so that's where we're at that's what we're up to and we see that uh, somebody's um, yeah um, it's it's an Olah. The question was, is elevation the proper translation for burnt offerings? And it's they're all burnt. Burnt is not the proper. Burnt doesn't. Yeah, burnt doesn't cover it since they're all burnt. This this one uh, is the Olah. It goes up. Comment, comment. Go. Um, the Olah, which is likened to the Hebrew word Aliyah, to go up. So. Elevation is actually a better translation of what the name of the offering is. The reason it gets called translated oftentimes in English as burnt offering is because the Olah is the only offering that is totally consumed and burnt up. Other offerings, portions of the sacrifice are put on the altar and go up, but the Olah is totally consumed. Yeah, let's make sure we understand the significance now. The Olah is totally consumed. They're all totally consumed when they're put on the on the altar. But pieces are not put on the altar for some of the others. Before it gets put on the altar, this hunk gets cut off because it's always going to go to the priest, or this is going to be shared by us, or and, and some of the things. So we see that. So you bet. So it's total. Works? Good. Yes? In addition to that, the Korban Ola, other than Yom Kippur is the most holy of all of these. That's true. So the most holy one is the one that gets totally confused. Yeah. Mm. All right. 
So we've got the elevation offering in the beginning in chapter 6. And we learned a couple of things here. First off, these Levites, the, uh, the choir, as it were, they sing. They're singing all the time. You see a lot of that happening around Pesach. But they're singing. But they also carry weapons. The Levites are in charge of maintaining the security of the tabernacle and later of the, of the temple. This, these are the warriors, if you will, making sure that the sanctity of the tabernacle is not violated. We find out that there's another job. And if you've ever looked at the tabernacle in great detail, and I can strongly recommend Edersheim's books on the uh, temple, and then uh, Mr. Good has done some recent uh, stuff on that as well. That's with an E at the end of Good. And we find that there's, there's various rooms in Herod's temple as we look back to find, well, here's all the wood. Why do we need all this cut wood? Well, we learn right here in Parashat's Tzav. What? The fire has to be going. fire's got to be going all the time, night and day. How many of you have gone camping? <laughs> do, you have, do you have any idea what we're talking about? Sure you do, right? This is a lot of wood. Oh my God! Let's do a low flame today. I mean, oh my goodness, you know. And I don't think that was an option on the. Altar. No, it wasn't. Yeah, you know, you're dumping the wood on there, and they needed they needed wood. That's How a big in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> or What's Israel. up with that, right? In Israel, it's a desert. All right, so we've got the Levites taking care of the uh, flames, and then we we're going to read shortly here about all the ashes that that end up coming out of this. Guy's got to put on his white linen, really cool stuff. Fitted. Fitted tunic, right? <laughs> Walks up. It's got closed legs so that there's no uh, <clears throat> views there of, uh, you know, pantyhose and whatnot. As they go up the steps, there's two ramps. They'll go halfway up on one ramp, make a U-turn and go the other way up. The rest of the way, they get to the top, little platform. And what's he have, what does he have to do with the ashes? He's got to move them to the side. To keep the fire going, he's got to get the, the burnt ashes out of the way. Once he's moved them to the side, what does he have to do? He's got to go back down. Back down, both ramps, go to the Levite changing area. Mm-hmm. Okay. I remember at the Purim party uh, that the Spurlocks hosted, we had uh, Peter and Colby in the uh, old-time bathing suits. It was hilarious, man. It was great. It was great. I mean, it's like they're in striped pajamas. But, you know, that's exactly what had to happen. They're, in, they're covered. They're very modest. They go into the Levites' quarters, change into some other clothes, back up the ramp, back up the ramp, and grab all the ashes to take them out to a... Clean place. Clean place. Dump the ashes. Now what? Back inside, back to the Levite changing area to put back on the cool fitted white tunic deal. So you can continue to uh, do your work. How many of you actually have to change your clothes to go to work? How many of you have to change your clothes while you're at work? Yeah. And you think it's tough when you got to go to the gym in the middle of the day. Man. I'm just trying to imagine white linen and ashes. Yeah, yeah. All I did was move them. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. So, but it brings up a good point. They're dusty. Another one, yeah. Another one of the Levites' jobs was the laundry. Yeah. 
Boy, do you think they gave that to the women or something? Don't be chauvinist about this. The Levites are in there, and that stuff's not going out. Okay, we've got another parcel to go to the dry cleaners. No, no, the Levites did the laundry. Now, what about killing these things? Right? You're going to read in here this week about the guy brings his offering, and some of this goes to the priest who did what? Threw the blood on the altar. He threw the blood on the altar. Who killed the animal? The worshiper. The worshiper. Way to get the knife. Did you have a little switchblade with him? No, no, no. Swiss Army. Swiss Army, right? No. <laughs> the priest hands him a blade, and he's got to kill that animal in a in a in a in a uh, proper way so that the animal is not going to suffer. So his job is it to maintain the blade. Exactly. Where'd the priest get the blade? From the Levite. Where'd the Levite get it? From the knife shop inside. You got a Levite there. And he's on the on the treadle, right? Because he's got to keep the wheel going, right? The skinny guy. He's the guy that takes care of the knives. Sharpening the blades all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not a lot of fellas. Wait, I get more meat. Oh, my goodness. Go ahead. But... Like just going back to the laundry issue. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we read in here where anything, last week's portion and then in this portion as well, anything that touches the altar mm-hmm. is totally sanctified. That's right. Uh, so, um, and anything that comes in contact with blood that's been offered on the, on the altar is totally sanctified. So, when it, you, it talks about the garments, you know, would, would get blood on them, right? And they had to be washed... In a holy place, which is, which is, you know, which is Torah speak for, they cannot leave the temple complex. This is within the boundaries because they are sanctified. Those garments are sanctified to Hashem. They, you can't just take those home and throw them in the whirlpool. That's yeah. right. I mean, that's right. Maytag, it, they, yeah. stay, they stay a long time. That's right. And how how is it that they're getting the blood out of these garments? Well, white is actually the best color because you can just bleach it. So obviously they. Well, there we go. Look at that. I didn't even think of that. Let's you can probably salt. you can just bleach yeah. them. Of course, you can only bleach a garment so many times before it is destroyed. It falls apart, right? So. Then they use them as wicks coat. <laughs> That's right, right? So we're going to wrap those up and we're going to use those. But now, what are you going to do? That's weird. What about the oil? Well, wait, wait, I'm getting to the oil. Wait a minute. Levite, I mean, Levite number seven. He needs, he needs some garments. Where do the, the garments come from? Mm-hmm. Da! You've got the Levites in the back room <laughs> sewing the garments. These Levites are doing everything. And the oil, the oil gets everywhere. I mean, all over the place. Yeah, oil. It's it's nasty, but there are no flies. Right. According to the sages, there were never any flies hanging around this meat, hanging on hooks, draining. Never happened. How about that? Amazing stuff. What did it smell like? Was it like barbecue? How many think it was like barbecue? I think a lot of times. I think a lot of times. I think it was a lot of times smelled like barbecue. At other times. Burning hair. Burning hair. You know, you didn't get all the hide stuff done because the hide comes off. They don't put the hide on the thing, right? So that's got to be schlepped out by who? A Levite. Okay. Yeah. Whenever the Nazarite came in, then they had to burn his hair. That's right. And you're burning hair. That's unpleasant, right? How about burning the fat? Have you seen that flare up on the grill? And then everything after that seems to kind of catch on fire for some reason. (laughs) I like that. 
Yeah, but you know. <laughs> so we we got all kinds of stuff going on. Smoke, soot. Well, it, they had to take out the hide and the waste. Right. Like, talking about the clothes. That sounds like a messy job, too. It, it does sound like a messy job. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Okay, over the shoulder. Samuel's on his way out. So open the door for him, would you? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. There's also burning bread. Yes, yeah. I was going to say. Oh, yeah. 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 Right, so we're, we've got toast, but after a while, the toast starts to smell really bad, because now we're beyond toast. We're into, what do you call that black stuff? Carbon, right? It's it's oh, it's nasty. Okay. So um, who can help me with the uh, the offerings we already learned about last week when we were not together? I've got five, I think. Right? It was one for every chapter. What's it? What's? Give me one of those. Well, we talked about one is the the Ola. The Ola, right? So this is the one that's going to go up in its entirety, right? This is the whole deal goes on there, and it goes up. Meal. And then we get the meal offering, which we would. Minka. What? What's that? Minka. What's 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 a meal offering? What's that mean? Grain. 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 Right. Flour. So I'm going to put some flour in there. Oil. It, it doesn't. It, it may be uh, made into like a little paste with some oil. Right. A whole lot you could of have some oil. Some some. You can do it. Some, uh, right. In the pan, not in the pan. You can make a little oil mixed in. With to fajita out of it, and then toss it up. You know, whatever. Party too should have been right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. And frankincense on the top. Okay, so we've got some good smelling stuff on the top too. One little interesting uh, tidbit that I came across last week in last week's portion. When it talks about um, for the grain offering that they would smear it with oil. Smear. We saw a lot of smearing today. Frankincense. Turns out that um, in tractate Mahuk of the Talmud, they had to, they discussed some of the details around some of these things, and it's described there the actual manner in how they would quote unquote smear the oil, and and what's described is that they would take the pure olive oil and they would um, the the coin would kind of dip his fingers in it and smear it in the um, in the formation of a top of a leather top. But originally that would have been the paleo Hebrew top, which is a cross. It's equivalent to our letter T today, right? That's kind of that's kind of cool because when you know that all of the all of these offerings are in in various ways connected to and pointing us to the Messiah, it's it's a great oil picture. representing the anointing, Mashiach being applied to the the grain, the bread. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. all the all it the symbols cool. are there. It is cool, and you know, it's like the hot cross buns deal, right? I mean, if you're gonna make the you know the buns, I mean, you gotta poke your little fork in there and do what you gotta do, and you gotta swipe the you know, the oil on top so they brown up properly. So, yeah, that's good. All right, so we've got the ola, we've got the uh, grain. Got another one? Uh, minka is the grain offering, right? The minka means afternoon or, you know, it's, it's the latter part of the day. So uh, we've got a morning offering, we've got an afternoon offering um, every third Thursday? No. Every day. Every day. Single day, a lot of stuff going. On. What's Shalom. the third? Give me another. Shalom. Peace. Right, we got a peace offering. So what's what's the peace offering all about? It is worship. All of this is worship. But what's what's the concept? I'm grateful for the peace I have with God. Yes. 
I'm grateful for the peace that I have with a man and another man. Sure. Right. I'm sorry? And we are making peace with God. I like that too. That works. Okay. So we've got the peace offering. That's three. It's a very It is. It is. You mean male or female? Yes. Okay, good. Good. One of the few. Good. Fourth one? The guilt offering. The Asham offering. Right? The sin offering. Okay. So those are the five. Tell me about the guilt offering. I borrowed uh, borrowed Michaela's lawnmower. I know it just didn't work. This is the first person I I saw. I, I borrowed Michaela's lawnmower and the blade hit one of those big rocks and it's it, it's a, it's bad off. And I didn't want to tell her about it, so I just gave her back the lawnmower. And as she's mowing through Greg's lush lawn, <laughs> the right mower blade is doing a lovely job. The left mower blade seems to be cutting these little divots. <laughs> So Michaela gives me a call and is, is kind of curious about if anything might have happened to the lawnmower. So I kind of, I come clean and I'm feeling badly. What am I supposed to do? Stop, stop borrowing lawnmowers. I can either get her a new lawnmower or probably more economically I can fix it. I can fix it and and give her about 20 points more, right? All right. So now, are we good? We're good. Okay, now watch. See? We're good. I can cut the grass tomorrow. <laughs> and you won't have to constantly go in a circle. Yeah. Now we're good this way. What's the problem? Right? Yeah. I was guilty. I felt guilty. If I've sinned against man, I've sinned against God. If I've sinned against God, I've sinned against man. We see this in David's life. We see this as Joseph makes it clear. How can I sin against God by doing that with you and sinning against my master? So I go and I present a guilt offering, and I'm strictly trying to cleanse my conscience as best I can, but it's a temporary thing for that particular purpose. The sin offering. Yes, sir. Before we go on, I noticed also that if you can quote, quote, commit a sin by not being a witness, we are a witness. So if you're a witness to some Ooh, sin and you don't yeah. go up and testify, yeah. you have to go and offer sin offering for that. Yeah. The responsibility of being part of the family of God. One phrase that struck me was it said that the things that people may do, something like that. I kind of like that. Yeah, things that people may do. Yeah, right. I mean, it's the human condition, right? How many of you think we're we're born perfectly clean, wonderful, great, and our chances of sinning are as close to zero as possible until we're contaminated by someone like Peter? It's a theological question. It is a theological question. So I got a zero on that. How many of you think we're born with a with a condition? No, I was thinking about that. I was thinking. Okay. Born innocent and then we're contaminated. Born innocent and then contaminated by the culture. Are you, are you buying into that? So if you're born into the desert, I mean, 
theoretically, you could be perfect your whole life. In our prayers, we in the first in Shakarit with the soul that you created me is good. Does anybody deny that the soul in us is good? Everybody agrees, right? The soul in us is good. So now we're talking flesh because conception. Conception is. What is the now we're back to the flesh thing, right? Good. Now we're back to the flesh deal. So, given just left to yourself, would you sin? <laughs> even, even a fool is considered wise when he keeps his mouth shut. <laughs> yeah. All right, I digress. I digress. The the. Um, it doesn't take long when you have a baby. You see that. You don't have to teach him to say no. And selfish anger. Exactly. Exactly. It really is kind of sad if you uh, if you're under the consideration or thought that we're we're gonna be fine. And it's just the culture or the village that's going to contaminate us. Nurture versus or our parents. Uh, nurture versus nature. Yeah. Okay. So um, those are uh, invite Kra, Those five. Now we've got uh, a couple more. I think. What, is it two more? We definitely have a spiritual problem. We're born with a disease. How many of you think we're sinners because we sin? How many of you think? We sin because we're sinners. No, no, it's the other one. You think we're sinners because we sin? Really? I think we're born with a disease and we. <laughs> I'm no longer a Presbyterian. She likes both. <laughs> I don't like both, but it's true. Adam wasn't born with sin. No, he wasn't, but he did sin. So he's a sinner. He's a sinner because he sinned. Everybody else? With same thing. I raised my hand with Adam. I can't blame it on Adam. We are sinners. Period. Absolutely. We all have a choice. Stand by. Thoughts on the hatat, which now that's back to last week. It, it Go ahead. Is, but I think it's I think it, I think it's important. We in uh, we had a conversation about this um, around our spot table, and then actually I think with the with the right salts. So you took the soft but, um, The chatat, the thing that's, that's interesting about chatat, it gets translated as sin offering, right? Um, but we see many examples where somebody is required to bring a chatat offering when they committed no sin. Right. Give, classic give, give example a couple examples. Go ahead. Classic Go ahead. example would be uh, a mother, after she's given birth, exactly. depending on whether it's a boy or a girl, after she completes her days of purification, she goes to the temple, she makes those, she goes to the temple, and she's commanded to, off, to offer a hatat. Exactly. Well, why would she be commanded to offer a sin offering? Surely there's no sin in bearing children. Which is a command in and of itself. Exactly. Be fruitful um, and multiply. The, 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 the Nazarite, right, the Nazarite has to offer a sin. I mean, so that we can give several examples where people are commanded to offer sin offerings when they've committed no sin. And it's clear they've committed no sin. It's not open right. to interpretation. Right. Exactly. So, my, what I would suggest is maybe that the English translation of sin offering is not necessarily the 
best way to translate chatat. Almost like elevation is not a really good word right. for a whole lot. So the word chatat can, it, we can see in other places in the Hebrew word, it can be identified with sin. But it's interesting, that same word is also identified with purification and purity. Right. So... Tomato whore kind of thing. What I would suggest is maybe a better way to translate chatat is not sin offering, but a purification offering. Right. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you do something and you, you are now tamay, right? And you can become tamay from sinful actions, but you can also become tamay from unsinful actions. Right. From righteous actions. Exactly. Even. Here's, here's, a, here's a good example. Suppose you help to bury your friend. Exactly. Great mitzvah. Probably the, the highest mitzvah there is. But you're now Tameh. That's right. So, but you cannot come before God in a state of Tameh, regardless of how you got there. So you have to offer a purification offering to regain a status of ritual purity. So, that makes sense because clearly the woman who gave child who just had a child is impure. She's tamay. She's not sinful. That's right. But she has to complete a purification offering in order to be able to uh, regain her status as ritually pure to then allow her to uh, participate in other activities. Exactly. Stand by. So let, me, let me yeah. Let me make sure that we're clear that the ritual that she must perform demands that she be clean or pure before she can approach to actually finish what will finish the purification. Did you catch that? I'll try it again. The purification ritual that she must perform requires that she already be purified in order to approach or she will die. And yet she has to approach in order to finish the ritual that will fully purify her. So do you see? It's all up to God. It's not up to us. Because if you want to go by the letter, once she came out of the water on her way in, she's already clean. She is tahor, no longer tameh. But she hasn't finished what God says is required to complete her purification. Excellent. Uh, excellent review. I got you, then I had you. Um, one thing I found interesting, I don't think it was in this parasha, but uh, for the ashes of the red heifer, yes. that's vital for some of the Now, this is cool. Bring us through that. Okay, so for the ashes I, of the red heifer... I buried my friend. Yeah. So now I am unclean because I came in contact with death. This is really, really bad. Yeah. So what do I have to do? Well, when you do this, um, I don't think it's in the parasha, so I don't remember the it's full It's not, but it's just kind of fake. But we'll it's, um, <laughs> you have to go and you have to... Um, you have to wait seven days, I believe. Eight. It's eight days. You have to wait eight days, and then point in the middle as well. Yeah, but, there's point in the middle. But during these eight days, what's the first? I got to first do. You got to be outside the camp. I've got to be outside the camp, and I've got to tell the priest that I need this purification ritual. Mm-hmm. But I can't go into the camp because where are the priests? In the camp. They're in the. They're in the center of the camp. So I've got to have somebody else tell the priest that I need to get this done. So I start my eight days on day three. What do I have to do? I don't remember. Do you remember, Dad? It's, uh, I was actually going to leave in the second for that. I need, the, I need the ashes, and I need the mikvah on the third day, and again on the eighth day, in order to end up all done. 
But the guy who makes those ashes, that's what I was going to go into, is the guy who makes the ashes, in the process of getting those ashes that are used for purification, he becomes Tame. Mm -hmm. So it's like in the process of making something that, that helps with becoming Tahor, he becomes Tame. And so it's kind of like, and then actually he has to do a purification of He himself it? has to use the very ashes he just made. Yeah, and so it's almost like, I think that's just further proof that sin offering is not the best translation exactly. of purification. And that it's up to God. Yeah. We can't decide that we're clean enough. Well, I think, coming back to today's portion. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, it's, uh, um, one of the things about the sin offering that's really cool is that um, it's not... When we think of sin offerings, it's usually like like God is somehow in a vengeful state. He wants to smack something, so we got to go quick kill an animal, so that way God won't be mad at us. I like the quick kill an animal deal. That's good. We're going to come back to that. But quick that's, kill that's, an the, animal. that's the mindset we tend to take. But in this week's portion, in chapter 6, it says, um, it, it describes the sin offering as a very holy thing. Extremely holy. In fact, so much so that when you cook it in a... Um, if you were to cook it in an earthenware vessel, you actually have to break it after it's done. Yeah. It's so holy, you can't reuse the earthenware vessel for something else right. later. And if, you, if you're in some kind of metal vessel, you've got to scour that sucker, exactly. boiling water, get it all cleaned up. So what exactly I think that right. stands out that's different is that the sin offering is not about vengeance. The sin offering is actually an extremely holy experience because it's about reestablishing relationship with Hashem. And you think about, like, the prodigal son, he comes back and... Um, and they throw a huge party for him, make a huge deal out of it. It's like the same thing here. Like, here's someone who has erred. They've sinned somehow, or they've become contaminated by the effects of sin in this world. Yes. You know, childbirth not being a bad thing, but the pain and suffering is associated with it is the effect of our sin. Um, they've associated themselves with the effects. Now, this cleansing process is actually a holy thing. It's a part of getting close to God again. So it's like God extending himself saying, I'm not pushing you away now. I want you to come closer. And, and I, I think that uh, this whole quick kill an animal so I can draw near. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's perhaps where uh, much of the church is looking. You know, it's like I've got to appease this this angry God type of deal. And yet, even if I've done nothing wrong, even if I have do, no need for a sin offering, if I violate his protocol, I will die. It's as simple as that. Why is that? Is it because of God's attitude? It's his mercy for us. It's his mercy for us that we're allowed to draw near, but why... Would we die if we drew near against his protocol? Why? Because he's holy. Thank you, Peter. That's great. Voice from beyond. Because, because he's holy. And what he must do, if he's God, is protect his own holiness. We cannot draw near and contaminate him. It cannot be done. Uh, uh, seminaries should have their candidates read the first five books of Leviticus every day like kindergartners do yeah. in ancient Israel yeah. every day for a year and maybe their whole attitude about this has changed. The use of the word sacrifices, although I'm not completely opposed to it, is really carrying this idea of appeasement that Joshua's right. speaking of. God doesn't need appeasement. And the idea that, oh, it's got to be blood. Absolutely. There is a lot of blood in these first five chapters. But the grain offering can be a sin offering and there's no for someone that is poor. So a grain offering can offer the protocol that's necessary to atone for sin. And, and the same thing as the woman who's born children. 
life. We see that even in the life of our master, right? They were too poor to afford the appropriate blessing for Mary. Okay, so we're good. Um, for Mary. Wait, right? she's not perfect? She's she had a sin offering? Oh my goodness. Oh, no. oh. After having her, she gave a sin offering. It's okay, Francis. We can go over this with you later. So, do not be so, offended. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> Everybody get off the grass. So they only an Italian can do that, right? You gotta have the intonation. I forget what I was gonna say. Go ahead. Oh my just going back to this to this word. Yes. Psalm 51. That's right. You started this whole mess. Yes. Psalm, Psalm 51, verse 2, says in English, according to the New American Standard, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Yes. Okay. And Hata. if you look at the Hebrew word sin, there's hata'ah. Okay. But then you then you go down to verse 7, same chapter, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Purify me is is Tehatami. Right. De Khatatmi. Right. So so you have you have the same so you have this idea of of it's it's really I think more an idea of purification from things that make us tame regardless of how we got there. And and we're not just atoning for our own impurity, we're also atoning for the sanctuary itself. That's right. Because if our if our impurity was derived from from a true sin, from a true violation of the Torah, then we know from other places in the Scripture that the blood of bulls and goats does not remove. You can't sin, take away sin, right? Mm-hmm. So then, why would we have this process? And and I and I think one a different way to think about it, which is not the way we normally think about it, is we're not removing our sin because only God does that in That's His right. mercy That's after right. true repentance. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. What we're and doing faith. is we're making atonement for the sanctuary and the temple and all of the things that are holy because here's the thing at the end of at the end of Exodus we built the tabernacle and it worked and God showed up yes. right now the question becomes how do we keep him here and the only way to keep him here is to maintain a strict high level of sanctity right. because if that sanctity is not maintained God has to withdraw his presence as he did on That's occasion. right. That's right. Exactly. So the, the the focus is not just um, not just on 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 our condition, but really more what the, our condition may do right. to the sanctity of the temple and the tabernacle, which then puts the very shekinah of shekinah at, at risk of departing. We don't want that. Ichabod. And we can keep the tabernacle, the temple, whatever it is sanctified and holy while being hypocrites at the same time. And that you see in the end of Deuteronomy, where God says, 
he lists all the different curses, are all, all, all the bad things that Israel will do, and they're pretty nasty, nasty uh, raunchy things. And it's about the category seven, is when he actually says, then I will pull my presence fr- from you, and I'll right. no longer dwell right. among you. And there's right. three, three or four more after that. But so that just just to show us God can endure, uh, you know, um, that that purification, but uh, in, in, in His dwelling. But even when the heart still is not seeking true repentance, He will pull Which is why He expresses dis- displeasure at the sacrifices because it was like you were you were you were you were doing all the right steps in this very tangible, physical realm, but you were missing all of the point of it. And more importantly, you're, do- you're messing up on all the more important things. It's like if your kid, you know, strolls in where, you know, with uh, wearing way, way too short shorts and tattoos all over their body, and they sit down and, you know, they sneeze and say, excuse me, you know, it's like, well, I'm glad you got that part, but, you know. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, it's back to Shosho's point. It's, it's the graciousness of God that he will put up with us for a period, even when we're disobedient. So, something to yes, ma'am. Okay, <clears throat> the three words that sound pretty much alike to me, and it's not because God, I, to, excuse me, but I don't think it's because God's protecting his purity. I think it's purely him protecting us from the consequences of stepping inside a realm that we cannot come into. So they have care of, care of, care of. Right? What did you have? Care of being at the door. Why? To protect them. What did they have? Swords, carob. And why? So they couldn't draw near carabine. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't come near carob. So basically, the protection is for us. Then I think the rest of the Bible shows how we can draw near. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I think it's both. Um, no I think it's natural consequences. Yes. I don't think God says, okay, you're coming in my eyes. I can get you. Know? Yeah. I think it's this is what happens when that happens. Exactly. Consequences. And, and to look at the the uh, tree of life right now, right? And the flaming sword and so well, forth. We will. Right? Amen. I like I like the idea of the personal protection. That God provides this atonement. Atonement doesn't mean forgiveness. Atonement means that you're not going to die. It means covering. That's right. So we're, we have this personal protection while we're there worshiping. But I like the idea also that the that, that the tabernacle itself and the temple itself is a corporate experience. And that and this is one of the reasons why the Pharisees were so, uh, in some people's minds, so rigid is because their, their deep desire to maintain this holy place. And if, if people treated it or if they came in an unworthy fashion, all of the people suffer. And unfortunately, in the, in, the, in the culture and in the religious background that many of us come from, it's all about me. And and, uh, and certainly it's about protecting ourselves while we're in the tabernacle or in the temple. But it's not all about us. Right. We, have a, we have all of our sin, our individual sin, affects us corporately. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we even see... Um, as we went through in uh, one of our study classes, that when the Pharisees were deposed for a time and no longer in charge of the uh, Sanhedrin, and the Sadducees appeared to have the upper hand, one of the things that they allowed to happen was people could now use the Temple Mount as a cut-through. I'm on this side of the hill, and I need to get on that side of the hill, and I don't have to walk around now. These new guys in charge will let me cut right across. I don't have to go over here to buy stuff. I've got folks setting up shop right on top of the Temple Mount. I mean, how convenient is this? I walk in, get my stuff, and 
to your point, we've we've now made it common, terrible. Um, quickly, just to make sure we've got the Hebrew down and, and, and we can solidify what we've just learned and heard. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, if you will, looks like a coffin. Yeah, it's got it's just a box. Now the Talmud teaches us that men should be like the Ark of the Covenant, gold inside and outside. It's the same inside as outside. Transparent men, yes. So we've got a box, and it has what on it? Covering. It's got a cover on it. It's just two pieces. It's the box and the cover. The cover just happens to have some major, awesome, angel-like handles. But anyway, the cover, that word, is the same word that we're talking about. This is kapara, right? This is a covering, and this is the same word that we're talking about with atonement. It's not that at one moment we hear at at the church building as much as it is a cover right and we need that cover good so wasn't there another where's the shalomim well, the peace offering we did the guilt offering we did most holy coming to me feast feast I'm in Sav I'm in chapter 7 and I'm on verse 11 right now peace offering feast peace offering that one will offer to Adonai Verse 12 on chapter 7, If he shall offer it for a thanksgiving offering, he shall offer with the feast thanksgiving offering unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers. Here we have the smeared with oil again, and loaves of scalded fine flour mixed with oil. With loaves of leavened bread shall he bring his offering with his feast thanksgiving peace offering. What's the cool deal about thanksgiving? Thanksgiving? Turkey? It's not turkey, is it? I'm sorry. How would you liken this Thanksgiving peace offering to our day? I mean, I think the closest thing, maybe in a, in a sense that we see today that's kind of like this, is um, in modern Western wedding weddings, uh, oftentimes the groom's family has a rehearsal dinner. Okay right before the ceremony. Okay. And it is an opportunity, in a sense, to thank the people who are part of the ceremony. It's a chance to let them celebrate with the family of the groom uh, as part of this wedding. And in a sense, that's kind of the idea behind um, sort of this Thanksgiving offering. I just had an experience in life that was dramatic or terrifying. God saved me. Or there's been some my business is being blessed beyond you know, imagination. And I am so thankful to God. Let me come take this cow up to the temple. We're going to kill it. We're going to cook it. We're going to have steaks for everybody. Exactly. The family, the Levite who's from the town is going to hang out with us, and we're going to have a huge feast before God and thanksgiving for what has happened. You're going to throw a party before God as if he's there eating with you. And the whole thing's got to be I think it's easy for some to look at that and be like, oh, well, you're just trying to like show off. And like, oh, look at me. I'm, I can do all this cool stuff. I can give this little party. But I think it's um, it's like, it's great if you have the thoughts. I'm thankful. I'm so glad I have these things. But I think it goes back to it's not what you think, it's what you do. And so if you can actually instead just be like, oh, wow, God has blessed me so much. I'm so happy for that. That's a, a mental state, and that's good. But to actually go and give something, it's an actual action that takes so much more effort than thinking something. And I think that will have a much longer-lasting effect than really thinking something. And isn't it a testimony to everyone who gets involved? It is. 
Good. Yes. My, my, my wife says it this way. When it comes to acting versus thinking, it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than think your way into a new way of acting. Wow. Wow. That's my wife. That's cool. It's also neat here this offering um, carries with it a very cool principle about about the reason and the way that it's done. This is one of the only offerings that you have to eat immediately. You, if, if the other ones, the peace offering, you could be a vow, like, okay, I promise God I'll give him the sheep, and you bring it there, you have three days, basically, to finish. By the third day, if it has not been eaten by the third day, then you have to burn it. But this one's one of the ones where it's like, first day, that's it, next morning, if it's still there, you got to burn it up. Because I think that's the carries of the idea of it's a thanksgiving thing. And God recognizes, I think, and understands the idea that we're humans, and a lot of the emotions and the excitement and the, and the joy that we feel when we're thankful is temporary. It comes and goes really fast. And I think it's also a good principle for us, too, to realize that, you know, if, if we're thankful, if we've been blessed somehow, expressing it quickly is a very good idea, whether it's to a spouse or whether it's to someone who's helped you. I, actually, when we, we, we did a thing for some uh, co-workers, um, during, I think it was um, Hanukkah, my, my manager literally, I gave her the item in the morning, within about half an hour, She'd eaten it, was enjoyed it, had written out a, she had a thank you card in her desk. She wrote out, thanks for the uh, cheesecake, and handed it to me. With, I mean, it literally was in less than an hour when I gave it to her. I was like, that was amazing. <laughs> so it's like, that's kind of the idea. It's like acting quickly to say, thank you. I really appreciate exactly. that. And if, I mean, if, if you help someone somewhere, somehow, and you get a thank you note in the mail a year later, <laughs> That's pretty nice. They're still thinking about it. Yeah. So great. <laughs> so, you know, I'm always grateful to get a thank you. Yeah, better late than never. That's what my mom used to say. Except in the offering. It's That's right. In this particular <laughs> offering, it doesn't cut. Okay. So I want to uh, I want to get uh, controversial here as we begin our second hour uh, and talk about. Uh, I mean, we have to get controversial. I mean, it's Bellatorius. <laughs> I want you to turn to chapter 7. In verse 25. Let's go back up to 24. Nah, 23. Nah, 22. 7.22. Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Any fat of oxen, sheep or goats, you shall not eat. You don't get the fat. Who gets the fat? God gets the fat. The fat of an animal that died and the fat of an animal that had been torn to death may be put to any use, but you shall not eat it. For anyone who eats the fat of animal species from which one may bring a fire offering to Adonai, the soul that eats will be cut off from its people. So I'd just like to spend a few minutes and hear your thoughts on being cut off from your people. This phrase appears 126 times in the Tanakh. Only one of them has nothing to do with what we're talking about. So you've got 125 left. You may pick any one of them you like, and let's hear what you think it means to be cut off from among your people. Shosh. I wonder, considering both what it says in the Tanakh and also what uh, Shaul said, um, that the idea um, that all Israel be saved, mm-hmm. Romans does chapter that 11. exclude anybody who's been cut off? Exactly. Good question. All right. So this is an important issue to wrestle with. Because 
the Israel of God includes those saved people. But what about the ones that were cut off from their people? Can you be uncut? Yes. From the ones that... Yes. Broken off, grafted in. Mm-hmm. Go through the process. Precisely. Precisely. Will I sin? Yeah. What happens when I sin? He wrote down what to do. Hello? Fix it. That's also the argument for people. Say, oh, look, Torah is too hard. Nobody can really keep it. We're all sinners. Well, yeah, but it tells us how to do it. When we break it. Yes. Right. Precisely right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sages address this issue because they, and they, they compare it to the times when God says, if, so, if you do such and such, you be cut off. However, other times that seem maybe even less severe, says, if you do such and such, then here's the penalty you can apply. And, and cut off in seminary talk means to be capital punishment, but the sages say, no, absolutely not. Right. In fact, it's, it's the other way around. It's kind of like, you're on your own. We're not going to do anything to you. That's, that's the phrase that I think, if you leave with nothing today but that, there it is. You're on your own. Excommunicated? Precisely. Mm-hmm. Except it's not it's not in the terms of of lacking I denounce. Uh it, it's but it's not in terms of, of lacking a communication because an, an Israelite can talk to a pagan. Um, it's it's more in the sense that you no longer are part of this people. And this is what's foreign to us in Western civilization, where we have been taught that the individual is supreme. The Bible teaches that Israel is supreme, and the community. And we're taught that if I don't like this community, I grab my stuff, and I go to the community on the next corner. (laughs) And if I don't like that community, I take my stuff and go to the next corner. And yeah, I mean, it's just that's not what it's about. But when they, but but when they are on their own, here's the key. This is what the sage said: the judgment is no longer the judgment of God issued through men and judges, but rather we have turned you over to the judgment of God, which brings brings the point. Paul's point is turn them over, and the idea is we are no longer considering you. God has commanded this. You are no longer a part of us. You're on your own, which means. Wow, there's nothing protecting you. It's exactly because right. there's protection in the community. Paul, he's, he's speaking of the comment where Paul says, "Give him over to Satan for the cleansing of his flesh." That his spirit, that his soul might be saved. That his soul might be saved. I mean, we, he needs to be chastised, and he's not going to get properly chastised if he's in the body, if he's in the community being helped. All right, I got a lot of men. Your first. Then the tall man. Then I don't know if he was betting or making a bid or what he is. Okay. Just as a question, what, how would the community then treat the person? I don't see as a, a lot pagan. of... As, as a pagan. As a pagan. <coughs> so the same principles that we see about our interaction with pagans would apply, in this case, to someone who's... I, d- I don't think the modern application of shunning someone is what's being I think it's... And oftentimes the sages talk about that that person died immediately, you know, or so whatever else. Well, I mean, modern, like, modern things happen to people when you're not a part of us. Modern Judaism, you know, if if a uh, if a Jew marries a Gentile, you know, my, my dad's best yeah. friend was a Jew. You know, they were in the fire department, New York City fire department together, and one day Bernie came in with a with a with a black armband. My father said, "What happened? My daughter died." Your daughter died? Oh my goodness! Well, she married a Gentile. 
That's so, kind of what you see in like Fedora on the Roof, too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. Right? I mean, with the last one, I mean, it's just, I can't. You know, you pull the thread, where does it stop? Where does it stop? You just, I mean, there's a, a place where you got to draw the line, mm -hmm. regardless of how liberal or conservative you may be. So that, that concept of you're dead to me, you're outside the community, you're not a part of the covenant with us, you're not here, we can't help. And many of the Orthodox communities will go so far as you don't talk to that individual. You don't act like they're even in the room if they choose to show up. And, you know, yeah. but, but I want to raise the point that in Christendom, if you treat someone like a non-believer, they get all the great coffee, they get the best seats, donuts. they get the donuts, they get the royal treatment. Something's wrong. To be put out of the community in the Christian sense, it's actually a better road. You get the free tickets to come to the Easter thing now. You don't have to pay. The people in the community have to pay. Come to the prayer breakfast. Yeah, pancakes. The guys are doing it all. Oh, you're not a you're not a believer. Well, you get to come for free. Yeah, you're a believer. Oh, no, you have to pay. It's ten dollars a seat. Do you want to buy four so you can bring some pagans? Yeah. Right. I mean, there's a real problem. We seem to have it completely backwards. And I think many of the older men here are and women are very cognizant of those communities who stepped up and have chosen to do the hard discipline, which is you know, sometimes threatened with lawsuits and whatnot, but to put people out and to publicly proclaim, I'm sorry, this individual is in sin. So-and-so went to him, didn't want to talk about it. We sent a, a delegation, didn't want to talk about it. Though all the elders talked to him, they, he will not repent. We have no choice but to put him out. You need to treat him like he's out. But what's the goal? What are we trying to What are we trying to make happen? We're trying to bring him back. We want to save his soul. We want that repentance so that he will come back. And I tell you, who's got a great story about this? Some absolutely wonderful testimonies. Tim Haig and Beit Hillel in Washington. When Peter and I went down to Texas. He, he just gave story after story. I mean, it's just—it's a great opportunity because they put people out, and they were then restored. It was yep. a great deal. I think I get you next, then the tall man, then you. Well, one thing I would say on this though, is that I do feel like the issue of being cut off is specific to certain types of sins. Um, when Paul lists some things, he talks about idolaters and drunkards and other types of uh, actions. Um, specific ones, because I've interacted with people who are like, well, you know, my my Christian friend, they they don't keep Shabbat, so I can't talk to them anymore because they're really not a part of the body. So they're just making this up as they go. They're making it up as they go. And and I, the, the issue that I have is that, like, there actually was a really clear list, a very specific list. That, 125 times. I mean, there are some serious things there. So it's like I, that wasn't really one of them. Now, on the, <laughs> at least not that way. If he breaks out leprosy. Yeah. Now the karat, though, and the thing about this, I want to be careful with the cutoff because I get that there is certain elements of the. Um, outside the body part, but karat is also described in Judaism, from what I understand, is very much a God-imposed judgment. Right. It's not like, you know, sorry, you you have um, you went ahead and ate the offering the day afterwards, so you know you you didn't take a mikvah before you came in, so we're not going to talk to you anymore. It was more like Judaism understood it as there were a certain list of things that would happen. They would die childless. They would die yeah. young. 
It was like it, it was it, it. It's the closest it gets struck to Judaism is the struck by lightning concept. It's like now you're on your own, right. and God is. It's it's sort of a you know um, Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. You're in a very bad place right now. Um, so that is a little bit different, and that's why like I would even back up a little bit. Like when, when Moses says, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna wipe them out of your book, you know, wipe me out. I don't think it's necessarily saying you know it's like hey if you're gonna send them to hell send me too. It's more the idea that it's like, if you're gonna kill all of them, because that's the idea of having your, your name blotted out is oftentimes associated with that concept, then include me, then, then, then take me as well. So it's very much a life-death kind of concept to a degree. I don't think it's necessarily always a spiritual one. So I, just, I guess I wanna just be careful with that. Every time it says cut off does not necessarily mean that that's one of the sins that we stop talking to people for. I think that it's a more specific list. That, I think there's 125 oh. times that God says people will be put Cut off from their people, from the people, right? I and it's God who's doing it, yes. right? And He says, "This is what will happen." So I think it's incumbent upon us to follow what God says should happen, and we should do it according to what God says. Simple as that. Because, as Paul reminded us, the idea is to get them to repent. Now, hopefully, they won't die childless. They won't die young. They, you know, they won't be struck by life. That kind of thing. But I mean, there is a punishment, and it's got to be brought by God through His people. But I don't disagree with what you're saying that people will pull it out of you know stuff out and go, oh, I can't talk to you. What? He doesn't believe in predestination. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I mean, we're not there. Yeah. So obviously, like you said, they're making it up. We're not making this up. We're just looking at the short list that God gave. Yes. So then, going with Paul's concept of getting them to repent. Yes. Uh, or, or encouraging, encouraging them. Can we take a statement that if we catch somebody in a fault, we who are spiritual to restore such a one? That's the whole idea. Yeah. Right. I mean, I—that's part of the beauty of community. Right. right so that's—I I think we we push a lot of times that the sin of one person in this community—that means the people in this room—will affect all of us. Do you know that? We had a righteous man stand up in our community a couple of years ago and apologize. Just out of the blue, he just apologized. So I just want to apologize for my sins because I know it's affected all of you. I got weak in the knees. I'm like, well, gosh, he's one of the most righteous men I know. If his sin affected everybody, what about me? Because I'm a loser. That's scary. But on the flip side, some of the coolest stories in the Talmud are about the righteous man instant amongst the city and he's got a kidney stone, and the pain that he's feeling is keeping everybody safe, or whatever, you know, some of these wild stories. But they're just to demonstrate the opposite side of the coin. That this man's righteousness, and he's got a bunch, will actually bless the rest of us. So being in community is a good thing. I need to get surrounded by as wow. many righteous men as I can. Yeah. yeah. Well, just right. to reiterate yes, what was spoken at the beginning of this conversation was, this is a last resort. You bet. It's not the first resort. It's not, oh, we disagree with you. It's like after everybody's talked to them. And they've gone through all the steps of Matthew 18 and all those things. Then you say, okay, we've got a problem. And we, and we don't have any choice. And, and, and it makes so much more sense that this would be effective in a Torah-based society. Because our modern culture, 
they actually self-inflict excision to a certain extent. I mean, mm-hmm. it, I mean, when when a when a child goes up, goes to college, or whatever, they just move away from the community, from their home, from right. their roots. Right. Whereas they're, here, they're deliberately tearing themselves exactly. away from the community. And, and think about it: Monday night, if we're in a tort-based society, every home is in is having a, 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 a seder in the house. Yeah. So the one guy who's, you know, outside of his soul's been cut off from the community. He can't do anything. Everything's closed. He's, he's not going to go to the movies. Yes. He's going to go find another community. He is alone. He's just going to sit there and think about, how did I get here? And yeah. here's right. I am all alone exactly. with nothing, with nobody. Wow. He never got to me. The tall man. <laughs> the tall man. The tall man. And then I've got another tall man in the corner. Go okay. So, nice hat. Thank you. With my dad's. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so, I think we've addressed what happens in, and Paul actually addresses what happens within um, modern, you know, the current body of the time we're in where we don't have the temple and all the sacrifices. Okay, so Matthew describes what happens and how. Paul says why. Yeah, okay. Now so we, now we understand, you know, if our brother's, you know, sending something like that, we want him to repent, come back. My question is, what goes on here? Say you eat that fat, okay, you're now cut off from the people. What does he do? How does, if he's treated as a pagan, how does he come back in? Mm. Was an excellent question. That we we keep I feel like I keep dancing around that. I'm like, oh, I want to get to that issue. Yeah, I, I've been wondering that since we yeah. this portion. Okay, comments. You, you want to know that too? Uh, Paul's response was, when the person returns, they've already had enough. Give me the word for return. Shoot, right? They've they've repented, and they want to return. Right. And, you know, he says the punishment inflicted upon them has been plenty. Sufficient. So you welcome them in. Exactly right. Encourage them. So, so, what so I, would, I would go so far as to say, to, to answer your question, jump in if you disagree. By the way, I think that's a great sound. So I wouldn't try and dissuade it. That's a, it's a beautiful. How many think it's a beautiful sound? She's making good All right. I don't know if you're hearing what she's saying. But it's yeah, good. It's, 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 uh, yeah, it's Verse 27. Any person who consumes any blood, that soul will be cut off from its people. So what happens? They're cut off. I think the example of Eli's sons fit that. They ate the fat. They ate everything. They gave God the secondary, if at all, because they took it in. They died. Not right away. <laughs> yeah. Look. Let's hold on Eli's sons for just a second because I don't think it answers your son's question. But the problem is that what and here's the danger. This is where maybe people don't understand. The sinner says, I'll do that and I'll repent. Not realizing that he won't repent. That's right. The danger of this is when you say, I will do that and I can repent, is that you have placed yourself all outside the, whether the community recognizes or not, you place yourself outside right. the community. The fact that the odds that you'll come back in are as small as they get. And just for the, I was going to say the younger people, but even for older people like me, if, if you don't think it's noticeable, you're kidding yourself. If you're trying to sort of walk the walk and yet your heart's not right, everybody knows. We talk about you behind your back. <laughs> and then we, we chastise ourselves for, Talk for we're talking about you behind our back. I think our secret sins are usually those that we don't know about. We don't, <laughs> we, we don't think anybody else knows about, but everybody else does know. You know. So back to this. 
I, I'm going to tell you my thoughts. Okay. I consumed blood. And I did it unknowingly. This is bad. The blood's supposed to be poured out on the ground. I didn't do that. Oh my goodness. I repent, not because I sinned, because I knew I could repent and get away with it, but I did it inadvertently. I should be cut off. I fall on the mercy of God and repent, and He will receive me back. Okay. No question about it. However, I think in almost every case that I read of these 125, God is speaking to the man like Rick was just talking, your dad was just talking about, where there's, it's not a disregard for the law. It's one who either doesn't, doesn't just want to play this game. Yeah. Don't really care what God thinks. And if I can... Is there even a sacrifice for that? Exactly. Right. So if there's not, well then... Out you go. And we in the body need to recognize there seems to be a heart problem. And that's when this cutoff thing. You can't be cut off from your people unless the people choose to cut you off. Right? So, so the guy who that happens to, he's been playing that game thinking, I can get away with this, I can do what I want, and then I can go back and repent later. He, he gets cut off, and then he goes, Oh no, but it was wrong. And, and how can I live like this? So there's, it always goes back though, you know, it's not what you think, what you do. Exactly. So what does he do? And and then you can't, to repent, from, from what I understand of, of rabbinic thought, is, and Hebraic thought, to repent is not to merely go, well, I'm not going to do that next time. It's actually when you have that opportunity, you don't do it again. That's right. So it's both, right? Yeah. It is. I have to, I, I'm given the opportunity and now I don't do it wrong. And now because my heart has changed, I need to make it right. Yeah, and God tells me how to make it work. Because now I definitely need that chatat offering, right? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got to make right. I've got to make right with the other priests, with the other Levites. I've got to confess my sin, and then I've got to make it right with God. So say a guy eats eats the fat, and then he's thinking he can get away with it, like my dad was talking about, that kind of guy. He gets cut off. So then he's like... Oh, that was really bad. I, why did I do that? That was horrible. That was evil. God forgive me. And then he goes back to the priest and said, "What I did, you know, hours later even goes back and says, but it was totally wrong. I am so sorry. I want to repent and come back in.'" Does the priest go, "Cool. All right, come in." What happens? I don't think it's up to the priest. And I think if if we try and apply the Matthew 18 back into this time frame, I mean, you've got a body of elders. You've got ruling folk that have made a decision on behalf of the body. Mm -hmm. They've communicated that to the body. And I think that there needs to not only be a repentant heart, but a demonstration of repentance. But then how does he do that unless they let him back in and take part of the sacrifice? Well, certainly one of the things he's got to do is come back in and do what God says to make right. And then he needs to be watched. Gotcha. The numerous sages that were that were cut off from their people, it oftentimes took years for them yeah. to be reincluded. And some of them, some of the greatest sages that we read of, were never brought back in. Yeah. And it's sad. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, we we simply cannot comprehend and appreciate what what the beauty of uh, that we have is. I got you. Stand by. You. Then you. Then you. I was just thinking about how this relates to some of the ones that carry the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, well, there, once punishment is administered, there's uh, outside of resurrection. I mean, there's really no way of <laughs> repenting after that, like after you've been punished. It's more of like a, 
That, mercy I, would, I don't think there's. I, I, no, we're outside the realm of being cut off from your people. Well, yeah, what right. I'm talking about are the sins that are where that it, where it's like okay, now kill him, like carrying something on Shabbat. I mean, the guy there wasn't like this process that we're describing. You know, that's where, different. I know, and it's just interesting. You're not cut off from the community. You're cut off from the living. <laughs> Nine millimeter, straight up, bam, down for the count. Right. But, you know. I'm, I'm just and the feet of those who just carried out your husband are buried in, are just, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, just how, how that relates to <laughs> repentance, because we're, we're talking about repentance in regard to somebody that has punishment administered to them. So the person has been cut off. That was the punishment. Now they repent yes. after yes. the punishment. So now we're describing that, but what about, as with the death penalty, somebody repents before the punishment is administered? Like, how does that He hasn't made it right if he doesn't work. Right. right. Yeah. Right. I think that... Okay. Yeah, I, I, life I, for life. I, 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 I hope that you do not do anything that requires the death penalty. Because <laughs> you will die. That's a simple thing. I'm sorry. There was a woman in Texas that refused to have her sentence commuted. That is part of making right. And I would say we actually have two examples of the way this works in illustrations. Um, narratives in scripture are really good for helping to explain how to do certain things. With Achan, Achan is going to be stoned to death by Joshua. Achan something from Jericho he wasn't supposed to. He's caused 30-something people to die. He lost that next battle. Yeah, so he's, it was really bad. They're going to stone him, and Joshua tells him, come on, tell us what you did. Okay, at this point of the game, it should be completely irrelevant. God's exposed him. We know he's done something really bad. He's going to be killed. So that's not he's not going to commute his sentence by pleading guilty. But there's obviously a, a bigger reason for confession here yeah. than just a, a physical death. That's a death. good point. On another illustration... It's also a great teaching lesson for the community. On Jeremiah's question about what to do with someone who repents in a different sense in the cutting out from the community and excommunication idea... Um, Paul has this illustration in Corinthians, and he has to tell the Corinthians, let the guy back in. Now, my ex, Paul's not there. So my understanding of that would be, this guy was pushed out, light bulb goes on, he immediately starts making steps to demonstrate that he really is repentant. You know, if you, the, that particular guy, I think, was one living with his mother in a bad way, right? So he's, I'm assuming he's probably, like, moved out. He's probably, like, you know, publicly denounced the things that he's done, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's taken a long enough time of him consistently demonstrating this that Paul, who's not even there, yeah. goes, that guy's done enough, you can let him back in now. So, in other words, it's definitely not one of those deals where, like, you know, he comes back and he's like, oh, man, I'm so, you know. We had I to, am we had really, to really sorry. Not yes. just sorry. Father, really, I have really sinned, sorry. you know, please forgive me. Yes, more right. It's Boy. definitely much Two more Hail Marys on your knees. Right. To step. Okay. It's like, yeah. great. I, I, do, do I do want us to point out that uh, the epistles from, to, from Paul were, were letters to communities that oftentimes had problems. Like they couldn't figure out when to bring the guy back in. Or they couldn't figure out they've got to put this guy out. You know, stuff like that. So uh, to your point, um, I think um, to Paul's other comment to Timothy, if a guy desires to be an elder, he desires a good thing. But don't lay your hands too quickly on any man. 
there's a balance there. We've got to see where people are at. I think you, yes, ma'am. Um, there's something else that we had come across in this tour portion a couple years ago, or maybe it was even just last year, and that's koshering. Um, how to take a vessel and to, if it's been misused or or, or never used or never used to make it appropriate, prepare. yeah, yeah, to prepare it. Um, and that's chapter six, verse twenty. It's explaining that when this offering is put in this vessel, and it specifically talks about this earthen vessel, that you know. It now takes on that status of being something holy. Right. And it can't be used for anything else. You know, Got to break it. And if or, it was copper, you or know, it's, or, or it's staying in here. Or it's staying in here. And um, so we were, we were uh, having a conversation explaining the separation of meat and dairy, and and then these vessels. Um, when we're we're cleaning out our kitchen and we're trying to. Make, the, make everything appropriate. Well, this will be for meat. This will be for dairy. We had um, a situation where we had stoneware. Mm. Ah. Oh, love that. You know, it's it's a nice addition to the kitchen. It's got all these really neat properties. Oh, yeah. You know, never so, burn so anything so in it. Right. It's, you know, yeah, everything awesome. Everything flavorful and moist. But the, the, the characteristic of the stoneware is that it, it becomes seasoned the more you use it because it absorbs right. and then it re-releases. And so it was like, oh, I mean, the very nature of this, like why I bought it is why now I can't use right. this as, you know, mixed or, or and how are we going to fix that? Right. Um, so it was in the process of kind of wondering what we're going to do with all this great collection of stoneware mm -hmm. that I have and how to, how to, uh, it. We came across this. A bake sale on no. Yeah. <laughs> For the community. <laughs> it, it was a neat experience. So I'll just kind of relate a story that um, how we in our research what we ended up doing and how it affected us and hopefully it'll be Please. a neat application for you. Um, so in doing some research we knew there were some things to that we could do. We could one break the stoneware. Ouch. Yeah. I like my stoneware. Um, <laughs> you could, there's, in the Shulchan Rook, you can actually bury the earthenware, like, in the earth for a year, and, and it will... It will taste like dirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it'll taste like dirt. Um, but you could, you could do that, and then, you know, I guess, I guess part of that idea is, like, you would want to wash it really, really good. Um, you could, because it's earthenware, you could refire it. You could put it back in the kiln. Um, so, you know, I'm still researching, and I found, came across a site that said you can put your stoneware, to kosher it, you can put your stoneware into a self-cleaning oven, which is extreme high heat yeah. for a prolonged period. Um, I think ours is actually set for five hours, and it's a stinky process. And you and can't open the door. It well, locks the yeah. door. I mean, it's some serious yeah, stuff. Yeah, I've done that by mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing inside it. You just can't open it again. We're not using this for dinner. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it was a neat process, and we so we put the stoneware in there. This is a big process of you know doing all of our of our dishes. And Jonathan was in the kitchen with me one one night, and there's this 
beautiful. He walks by the kitchen. He's like, um, our oven is on fire. <laughs> and it was all of the stuff from our cookie sheet on the top layer being burned off. It had this beautiful, like, bluish purple fire flames in the, in the oven. While it's locked. While it's locked. So we're like, oh boy, this is, this is, you know. Talk about a kiln. Right. So, um, but it's a neat process. When it was done, it just, it, all, everything just evaporated. It was gone. The fire went out. So, you know, five hours later, we checked the stoneware exactly in the morning. And it's, it's clean. It's like white. It's rough. It's kind of porous. It's, it totally. Like when you first buy it? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So it isn't that amazing. So I've, you know, got Andy's little label label maker, and we're trying to identify. Okay, this stuff right here. This is for dairy. This is for meat. And I've got labels going everywhere. But I was really touched that I felt like we are the earthen vessels. This is an application where this is us. We have to be. You know, God has fashioned us in a way and called us, prescribed. We need to be used in that fashion. Amen. And so whenever, you know, the sin causing somebody to leave the camp and then come back in, it's, it's this cautioning process. That's right. Um, so it's, it's so just that, interesting. So that they can be set apart. That, as, so that we can be set apart and, and be and fit and used again for, for his glory and purpose. So the fire was in the pot? Yes. It, we're describing because it made me think of that scripture the treasure in earthen vessels. Mm. Thank you. Um, by the way, if if you're still on the outside a little bit and you're not familiar with the value of being in community, that was it. Right? We get to we get to share these things one with another and we grow together. Good. Thank you so much. Yeah. Another one. Yes, oh, sir. Yes. I'm distracted by this. Does <laughs> <laughs> it to me every time? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what I was thinking is, you were talking about the guy. They didn't want to. They, it was like Paul said, "Okay, you can let this guy back in. He's he served his time, so to speak." Yes. Whenever I I read that, I, I got the feeling that the community there just was totally shutting him in a way that was like not right. What I always thought the posture of the community would be is like we want them to come back in yes once they you know completed their scouring or their you know purification or whatever not sure. till them but yes. the, the attitude is always we want them back yeah I, I i think that is the attitude that we desire to have them back but it's not up to me that they come right back. you know i can't just go see you know sally and now everything's fine and i have the authority to let them back the same authority that put them out of the community is the same authority that must say, hey, community, their repentance is sufficient. Welcome them back. And, and I think, again, back to uh, uh, Tim Hegg and, and the way their elders got together to formally eject and then formally receive back. And, uh, and we've heard uh, even... Uh, from Greg in, in Texas of the, the body actually desiring that their members grow in holiness to the point where they will do the hard work of putting them out because it's not easy. It's really easy to just let sin kind of slide. So um, our desires personally should always be for that repentance. But we need to recognize who's got the authority to put them out and then therefore to bring them back. Yes, 
two, two comments. One, just following up, following up on that, is um, in a, from a practical sense, when someone is put outside the community, um, and that's kind of it's kind of made formal, if you will. They're they're outside the community. In a practical sense, there's typically still somebody in the community that maintains a level of communication with them with the hopes of continuing to counsel them and and observe, you know, observe them to see if there is true repentance there and whatever. So so but they're not gonna be participating in community functions, they're not gonna be, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and, and there's a clear limitation to their involvement. But there's typically still someone from a practical standpoint that is there trying to minister to that person to restore them at some point. So that's just a practical side. But I think the other thing, too, is we can't separate, you can't, um, or you, you have to sort of separate repentance from sin from the consequence of sin. So someone can commit a sin and they can come to repentance and they can make shuva and they can change. But that doesn't mean that they don't have consequences from the action that they still have to, to right. deal with. Mm-hmm. And and that kind of gets back to the person who's sentenced to capital punishment and they're on death row and they have a true experience with God and repent and all of that. Praise God. But they may still have to die because they still have to suffer the consequence of their action. That's exactly um, you know, we're just this is this whole thing is fairly uh, is is uh, kind of fresh for us because we've got a good friend that we're counseling with right now in the last forty eight hours that's got a real tough situation, and he's repentant, but there is going to be some consequences for his sin. You know, it's a it just is what it is. You know, and and you just pray for God's mercy and, right. and grace to kind of go through it, but. Um, so, so I, just a, a quick point um, that's been on my heart for several months, and that is that um, with regard to community, we take community kind of loosey-goosey here, quite frankly, and I don't like it. Um, there, there's really no, are you part of the Bellator community or not? Well, if you show up to pray, I think you are. How many times do you need to come and pray? Well, suppose you come and you only you can only come here for the portion discussion. Are you not a part of the community? Uh, you know, um, I only come every other week. Yeah, and every other week. <laughs> yeah. Who knows what you're doing on the off shot, you know? Um, so I, I think that um, I would love to see uh, a little bit more, um, not legality, but a little bit more structure around who's a part of the community and who's not, and why are those who aren't not. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't want to go too deep in it. My, my concern is this. Um, we would like to meet every week. But we don't want to meet in a house every week. I know for sure we don't want to meet in this house every week. Um, I think that... Uh, I, I've spoken, uh, at least to Greg, if not Rick as well, that we would love to rent a place, um, not unlike what we did with the uh, hotel, and, and I think we're going to do again with the hotel bar mitzvah. Uh, yeah, for a bar mitzvah coming bar up mitzvah. at the end of the year, to bar, bar mitzvah. Uh, My name is 
B'nai Mitzvah, thank you. Um, but I don't think that's that's optimal. Um, but renting a room would be great. Renting a room someplace. Uh, and I, I've received counsel that we should try and avoid a church to do that, which would probably be fairly easy to get, but it would be great to avoid a church <laughs> and just the whole hassle that goes along with that. So um, I am imploring you now, formally and officially, if you know of a room large enough for us to meet in, which I think we found out this morning is slightly larger than this room. <laughs> Amen? Um, if you know of a room that we might be able to rent uh, or an entire building or whatever, um, I think that's that's our next step. That's what we want to do. So um, if you know of something like that, let me know so that we can see what kind of money we're talking about. And then we could begin to meet every week. Then comes the whole logistics of can we leave the chairs there? Or we have to schlep the chairs back. Do we have a table? Do we have like uh, a stettle or what is that? A stender? That's a stender. You know, that kind of thing. But that's what we're looking for. So um, if you know of something that would be somewhat uh, convenient for all of us to get to, that would be a lovely thing. The second best would be to have another home to meet in on the first and third, and then, of course, the beyond that would be to to simply continue to meet just on the second and fourth. One second, yes, ma'am. Just just to put it out there, I don't know. I could ask unless you know a home opens up. But the school that I teach at, they have Sunday service there, so they don't have Saturday there. So I could ask, and there's chairs and tables and everything. So yeah, I mean, I, I would we would much prefer that than a home. And we definitely would rather not be a church. So. But in order for us to grow and be more regular, I mean, I love praying with you guys and learning. And Do you want things. me to ask? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, just find out you know, what kind of money we're talking about. How big is it? Can yeah, they something? might not even charge. Um, That's a blessing from God, too. You're talking mm-hmm. about quali- qualitative growth, right? Mm-hmm. Right. As, as opposed to quantitative growth. I'm not, tr- I'm not concerned about growing in numbers at right. all. Right. That wasn't at all what I mean. I mean, each of us growing. I mean, Shorty here needs to grow. <laughs> I understand, Chair, there is a place in Dallas which is very interesting. That's too far. Preferable, but too far. It's Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah. It's a church who has partnered with the Messianic community, and they're going, they're sharing yeah. the same uh, place, and what they're doing is it's being a, an influence on the Chris on the church community that's very very encouraging mm-hmm. and it and, and they they're talking about it Jew and Gentile one in Messiah and they're actually a church and, and actually sometimes even he'll stand up and I mean the guy from the church will stand up and say something but he said you know this is for just for thought you know and he'll disagree with what may be this messianic or someone but it's been really really exciting to see the growth on both sides yeah. um. Again, I, I prefer that we not do the church thing. We've got several several places here in town that are doing the you know the church on Sunday. Well, what's what's happening there on Saturday? Nothing. Well, can we borrow? Yeah, it's just not what we're we're, we're looking to do. So. But there is definitely a ministry there, and um, my my company actually 
has a lot of churches as clients, and I, I really think that we could ask and we could have an opportunity there. But I mean, they put up with me <laughs> no, mostly. So uh, anyway, let us know, and then uh, we'll see what happens. Other comments on Saab before we close. The, the end of Saab. I'm, I'm, I'm heading to the, the end of Saab right now. No, no, no. You're talking about in uh, 8 with Aaron? Chapter 8, verse 36. Aaron and his sons did everything that God commanded to Moses. This is not unlike the end. That is an, I mean, that's an explicit and a stark statement. Man, I wish that I could say that I, I did half of what he told me to do. And, but but it is, it's, I mean, you should notice the parallel. That's exactly how the book of Shemot, the book of Exodus, ended. Moses did all that God had told The people did all that Moses told them to do. Everybody did what they were told to do. And here we have exactly the same parallel. It's, it's striking. It's extraordinary. can't do what God tells us to do? Yeah, right? I can't keep the Torah because I can't do what God tells me to do. This, this is not chronological, so be careful how you read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the Torah is not chronological. Right. Um, the blood on the right oh the right ear the right thumb the right toe yeah that's good stuff so do you think that uh, Moses was doing the the very circular dot deal or was he like smearing on a big toe and by the way you think that the guys were wearing flip flops or were they standing there with no shoes on I think they're barefoot right okay so you can get to the you can get to the big toe you can get to the big thumb you didn't get to the big ear. What's that all about? What's the deal with that? Because we see this a couple of times, right? They Right? I mean, I mean, doesn't it represent everything that we're doing? Yeah, it's it's all about sanctifying with the ear, wishma, right? Which is we hear and obey with our hands. We then we then take action with our feet. We walk. So it's it's saying on the right side, which in the right side in complete thought is always a picture of strength, right? Um, so with all with our strength, we are dedicating, you know, what we our our obedience, our actions, and our halakha, the way we walk, to the service of Hashem. Amen. And these guys are over the top, right? This whole deal. Don't we have the same thing happen again with oils? It was with blood this time. Don't we get it again with oil? One's forgiveness and one's anointing. Ooh. We probably need to be careful, though, that we don't misuse the idea. I like that. I think, obviously, these are concepts. Right. They're physical actions. Greater things that are internal. Mm -hmm. But the seminarian would say, well, as long as I did the internal thing, it's like the blood smear, I don't need to do that as long as I listen to God. You know, well, you can't then go to verse 36 and say, and you did everything that God told you to do. That's right. Exactly. When you can say that, then you can say, yes, I listen to him, and yes, I do what he tells me to do, right. and where I go. But until you can say, I did everything that God told me to do, you can't talk the concepts with me. That's right. Yes, one other verse towards the end. We're kind of, we're kind of in the end. At the end. Um, so I'm going to back up one page. Uh, this is verse 34. So this is the very last page. I'm still on the same page. Um, it's a very interesting um, pronoun here. Moses is talking, and he says, "As he did on this day, so Adonai commanded to be done to provide atonement for you." 
Um, and then later he says, I. Now, granted, that is the English, but I think the Hebrew, asa, I guess would still be like, uh, he did. Which is, which is odd, to be honest with you, because that's the only um, third person pronoun in that entire passage. There's, they use names, Aaron and his sons. Right. He says you, right. speaking to Aaron. Right. And he says I, speaking of Moses speaking of himself. But who's the he? And I couldn't help but think in their, our, our parallel passage in Hebrews, um, it, it, it's almost, this may be a little too mystical and deep, and may not even necessarily be exactly what Moses is saying. Let's hear it, brother. Come on. Lay it but it got me wondering if, in the same way that it describes in Hebrews, the Day of Atonement ceremony parallels something that Yeshua actually did right. in the heavenlies, as opposed to merely a concept. That this inauguration ceremony somehow links in with something that Yeshua actually did as priest or as establishing priest, priesthoodness. And so in that sense, he's saying, as he did, so has God said to do for you. For the foundation. And, and it, because it as reminds me. past tense when we first started this planet. And then conveniently, it reminds me also of that passage with Yochanan HaMakvil with um, Yeshua, where he says, we do this, fulfill all righteousness. I mean, I don't know, there's always, it's almost like this element of messianic, um, priestly inauguration here and um, this particular verse it's, it, it's random it's weird it doesn't make sense and that's always the ones that catch my eye right, right. so it's kind of like uh, we're, we're seeing Aaron is now doing literally doing the things Yeshua did yeah that's cool. I like it. It's it's not too uh, not too mystical for me. Pete, how are you working with it? What mystical? Joseph. Yes, ma'am. So, so we can do it. Yeah, you have to speak up. People on the tape yes. listening in Canada need to hear you. So, since we can go into a little bit of that, uh, it's random, and I'm not sure about this whole thing. <laughs> the I just wanted to clarify. I think you said this phrase cut off from the people. It's different from. You'll die. You don't stay there seven days and seven nights or whatever. It is. Yes, it's different. Yes, it's two different things. Yes. Okay. Do you think that when they say this, like, like here it is? What if somebody didn't actually go the seven days or something and then die? Do you think it's die? Like you're in hell now and that's it. We'll never see you again. Or okay. Do you well, think so it's like a parent who brings their child in because they're messing up after they've told them to do something outside the yard. Do you know what I'm saying? I think like, I know what like you're saying. Like, really? I think you're what trying, do you mean by dying? Like, yeah, I think you're trying to spiritualize it, and I think it's absolutely physical, 100%, literal, exactly the way it is. If Aaron and his sons did not stay in there at the tent of meeting door for seven days, they would die. In fact, we're about to physically, they, go to hell. they would die. Now, where no, they no, go, man, I, I, whether they have a place in the world to come is a different story, but let's yeah, make sure yeah, okay. we get the first okay. part of the question right. So yeah, I think they would die. Now, let's take that question and let's look at a different spot. Oh, this raised some hands. Good. Stand by. Um, suppose we have uh, we have uh, a man who wants to approach and make sacrifice, and he is unclean. What will happen to him? He'll die. He will what? He'll die. He will die. I mean, I mean, is it will he really die? I mean, do you think he really dropped dead? Dead. dead. Right he will away. die. Cease to breathe. He will cease to breathe. Okay. Hold his breath. breath. No, no, no. He will die. Right. So yeah, they will have to bury him. They might have to scoop him up. 
Yeah. <laughs> or sweep him up, depending on uh, how the death happens. Yeah. All right. So if we, yeah, if we if we offer strange fire, this is no longer you know a debatable thing about you know what might happen. What happens when you offer strange fire? You die. Bam. Bam. Get the broom. Fire comes down from heaven and you're smoking. Yeah. Out the door. Okay, so I definitely think it's a physical you die. Now, I got you, I got you guys hanging again. So, um, I mean, let's work this for a second. Um, so, tell me about the sleeping quarters here. I just don't think I'm clear. Now, if you're in your in your chumash, it's just the right the page before, right? It's at the bottom of page five eighty five. If you've got a chumash like me, Moses said to Aaron and to his sons in verse thirty one of chapter eight, "Cook the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and there you shall eat it. And bread that is in the basket, the inauguration offerings, as I have commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it, and whatever is left over, you shall not leave." Verse thirty three, the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days. Until the day when your days of inauguration are completed, for you shall be inaugurated for a seven-day period. So, did they have to like lie down in front of the door, or were they miraculously zombieized and standing up for seven days? I mean, let's feel the passage here for a second. Again, Aaron and his sons. How many sons we got here? You figure? Maybe three, one and four. Maybe four. I'm hoping four. How many think four? four? Four looks good to the back row. Four? I got four. So I got Aaron and his four sons. There's five guys. And they all have these weird-looking blood spots on their toe, big ear, and the thumb. So what do they do? They have to stay in there. Right? And they have to spend the night. It's like one of those things the church does with the young people, right? This is a lock-in. Is that what you call it? A lock-in? Yeah. So it's a lock-in, but there's no videos. There's no Xbox. Right? There's no furniture. There's no furniture. What have they got there? Sit on the edge of the of the basin thing? That's not going to work. What? Does that work? Is that allowed? That's not allowed. Is that allowed? Yeah, right? Sit on the ground? Yes, ma'am. No, just not a bit. Okay. Right? So... And after seven days, what do they do? And Moses shows up and goes, I'm glad you're all here. Wait, wait, wait. That fourth guy's not breathing. Did he go out? He went out at some point. Fake Newtons, I know. And again, look, I told you not to leave. And that would have been better. So that to do what the Lord requires, but it doesn't tell you what necessarily the Lord requires. Oh, it most surely does. Everything before it is exactly what it requires. Sure. So there should be no problem. God doesn't say, I'll kill you if you don't do this without telling you what to do. And, and that's interesting, because in, in the second temple, yeah, the high priests are old guys. These guys are 70, 80, going 90 years old. They got to stand. Sorry. <laughs> so to, to, to stand for seven days in, in, in the courtyard, yeah. or in, in and around there, I mean, it's impossible. You, right. you, can't, you can't do that. You just have to assume right. they're going to lay out somewhere here, but they are going to stay... And just, exactly. just like to your mother's point, just like the vessels, they will stay within the boundaries. That's good. Colby had a point. No, I was just. After all that, now you got no point. 
Mr. Rabbit his hand, and you couldn't see him. So, so you were you were like a mirror, deferring you, reflecting a greater light. We had two options. There's a one-man tent. It's a little thing. It's yeah, pop. You probably fuck yeah. Or there's these really nice sleeping bags that have kind of an hour thing. So those were all options. I don't know if they had those. I like it. Yeah. Well, maybe you gotta hope they've got that. Priestly blankets, right? The Levitical covering. Hey, they put all those clothes on. That's warm enough. Yeah, I don't know. They get their own. The desert gets cold. They pull on their own takash skins. That's right. We know in the second tempo there were quarters, just quarters, yeah, as well as for other times. Like for example, Yom Kippur, the high priest, the 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 week leading up to Yom Kippur, he would stay. He's sequestered. That's right. Good. Good. That's a very good question. Can I change the subject? Absolutely. Thank you. I have a little bit of a problem. I mean, you all know my big problems, but I have a little one. <laughs> um, and that is, I do believe that what it says, that the blood of bulls and goats will not take away sin, it's different than forgiveness. So what? Okay. I believe it means it takes it away, as promised in the New Covenant. And in and what we have in... Ezekiel chapter 36. In the it third says, temple. it's the only place in the Old Testament that it says he's going to take away something that is basic. And it says, a new heart also I give you, a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. Yes. I believe the promise of the blood and the bulls and the goats is forgiveness, as it says in many of the scriptures through Exodus and Leviticus. You would okay. be forgiven for your sins. You do it, you're forgiven. Sure. Okay, so it can't mean that it doesn't take it away. Even though it says it's covered, it says it's forgiven. Well, you're, okay? you're, you're making clear that forgiveness is not the same as taking it away. Absolutely. The taking we, away happened from the foundation of the earth with the slaying of the Lamb. Absolutely. And that only happens in reality in us with our new and glorious bodies when the new covenant is fulfilled in us. I'm with you so far. What's the problem? That's it. So there's no problem. Yeah. How many of you agree with that this? That was pretty resolved. Right here. Does that sound resolved? Yeah, we're worked yeah. up. Does everybody agree? Mm-hmm. Right? Have you got that fleshy, stony heart still? Otherwise, or no? people, otherwise people think that the sacrifices are done away with. And they're not. Because the new covenant isn't Whoa. fulfilled. As long as I'm in this body on this planet where there is death and sin, I'm going to need whatever's necessary according to His plan in order to draw near. I'm with you 100%. How many of you think you still have that stony heart? Nobody? One person. Two people. Is everybody asleep? We we need to quit? How many of you think we still have a stony heart? Okay. Having your unconvinced stony heart. <laughs> but it's still a stony heart. But it's a process. It's in a process. Okay, I'm with you. It's a process. But, but you know. It's not taken away yet. It's not been taken away, absolutely. Okay. Some of the people on the couch may not believe that. But we'll come back <laughs> to that. Our Haftar actually dealt with this question because the issue of sin is not resolved until when we see this in the Haftar. It talks about the days of Eliyahu. Now, we have a special Haftar for those of you who weren't here for the Torah service in that we're not reading out of Jeremiah today. We're reading out of Malachi chapter 3. 
And in the Hebrew Bible, it ends with chapter 3. There is no chapter 4. We're on like four or five verses there. So, um, Rick, can you just go ahead and give that to us? Do you have a hand? Uh, you don't have a hand? Now I started off the revolt. That was my next um, verse. It says, uh, well, this is actually in the best Kumash you can find. That would be the Gutnik for those who uh, don't In the know. time of the future redemption, the offering of Yehuda and Yerushalayim will be sweet to God as in the early days of Moshe. In the former years of Shlomo, the fire once again will descend on the altar. Then I will approach you in judgment. I will not delay judgment nor examine the witnesses, for I will act as the sole witness and enact judgment quickly against sorcerers, adulterers, and those who swear falsely, those who cheat their salaried workers, those who cheat a widow or an orphan, but pervert the justice of a proselyte, says the Lord of hosts. For I, God, have not changed my mind. I still hate evil. And you, the children of Yaakov, have not reached the end of your judgment, for many wicked people have died without retribution, and I will only punish them when they are resurrected. Ever since the days of your father, you have turned away from my laws and did not keep them. Return to me and keep my mitzvot, says the God of hosts, and I will return to you and treat you well as in the past. But you have, not, you have the nerve to say, what sins have we done for which we need to repent? So I reply to you, is it right that a human being should steal from God because you steal from me? And if you will say, what did we steal from you? My reply is that you stole the tithes and the terumah, which you failed to give to the priests and the Levites, because this you are caught under a curse, causing the land to be infertile. Yet you, the entire people, without a single exception, go on stealing from me. So now bring all the tithes to the storehouse and the holy temple, so that, those, that, so that there should be food for the priests and the Levites in my house. Please test me, and, and with the observance of this mitzvah, says the God of hosts, and see if I do not open up the apertures of the skies and pour down such blessings upon you that your crops cannot be contained in your storehouses. I will also destroy the locusts for you, so that they do not destroy the land's produce or make the vines of the field lose their fruit, says the Lord of hosts, says the God of hosts. Then all the nations will praise you, for you will be in a land which satisfies its inhabitants, says the God of hosts. Your words distress me, says God. If you say, what did, we have, what did we say against you? The answer is that you said it is worthless to serve God, We have, which is what you're talking about. People say, well, we don't need sacrifices. So it's worthless to serve God. What have, we gained, what have we gained by keeping the laws which he told us to keep and by walking humbly before the God of hosts? Now we see that there's no value in the mitzvot. Let us praise the intentional transgressors who were not so foolish to observe the Torah. The wicked have established themselves. They have tested God to see if he enacts punishment and have survived. The response to this people is, then, while the wicked were sinning, the God-fearing people discussed among themselves that God is indeed just. God listened and heard their words. A scroll of remembrance was, writ was then written at his command, mentioning those who fear God and contemplate the greatness of his name so that they may be rewarded in the future. Their names will be kept with me, says the God of hosts, until the day when I take stock and pay reward. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on the son who deserves him who serves him carefully. Even before the wicked are punished and while the righteous still suffer, you will return and see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, because those who serve God and those who do not serve him, between those who serve God and do not serve him. For behold, days of judgment are coming, burning like an oven. The evildoers and all the wicked will be like straw, and the judgment day will become will come and set them alight, says the God of hosts. It will leave them totally obliterated without root or branch. 
For those of you who fear my name, your observance of the mitzvah of charity will shine upon you like the sun. Its rays will spread like wings over the earth, and it will heal. Wherever you go, you will be abundantly satisfied, become like becoming fat like calves that are fed in their stalls. You will crush the wicked, for they will be like dust under the soles of your feet on the judgment day. I am promising to bring, says the God of hosts. You will be re well rewarded if you remember the Torah of my servant Moshe, whom I commanded directly at Korab, with rules and laws for all of Israel. Behold, in the merit of observing the Torah, I will send you the prophet Eliyahu before the arrival of God's great and awesome judgment day. He will bring back the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. For without this, I would appear on the judgment day and strike all the inhabitants of the land with a devastating blow. Behold, in the merit of observing the Torah, I will send you the prophet Eliyahu before the arrival of God's great and awesome judgment day. It's always longer when he reads from there because it puts in all that cool stuff. <laughs> but it really is a, um, a great translation or ad adaptation. If, um, if you look at the parenthetical stuff that he included and you've got nothing to do, it's a great Bible study to figure out why did the sages add that? Because I would say conservatively at least 75% of it comes right from the scripture. The other 25% is a little hooby-scooby, but hey. <laughs> I love it. So, um, It's interesting to me that the last verses of that quote, Old Testament, say to keep God's laws. Exactly right. You know, and in the, uh, you know, in the Hebrew Bible, it doesn't end that way. In the Hebrew Bible, it ends with Second Chronicles, which is really just chronicles, because they don't have two, they've only got one big chronicle, um, which ends on a high note. We rearrange the Bible and it ends up on a bad note. I think it's a good note. Got to keep God's laws. Well, it is a good note, but <laughs> he will smite us with a curse if we don't do that. You bet. But the Hootenick adds that first phrase at the final redemption. You bet. Yeah, so it's it's all going to come out in the wash. Is it not? I mean, really. And the world will get. The world was koshered once with water. It's going to get koshered with fire. By fire. Exactly. And you won't be able to open it. That's right. That's right. Set apart and holy. It doesn't mention it. It does mention it. That's exactly right. All right. Final comments. Thank you. Good comment. Good comment. And you know the the third way of koshering an earthen an earthen vessels to put it in the earth again. Yes. To me, that almost sounded like those who are dead in Messiah. Or at, at, at the resurrection of the dead. Oh, that's well, their right, yeah. That's cool. Good. I like that. Mm -hmm. That's very clever. That's all. It's communicated for. It's a way to get caught your mouth. Right. All right. Let's pray. Good Father, we thank you for Shabbat Hagadol, the big Sabbath. Father, I'm grateful for this holiday, for the people that you've gathered together, for your people. I'm also grateful, Father, for the, the Passover, which you provided for, as we've heard this afternoon, before the foundation of the world. I pray that over these next few days, as we review once again the story that you told us to review again, and again and again and we would tell our children and teach them of this incredible work on your behalf Father I pray that the 
As the sages teach us, by the end of the Seder, each of us would feel as though we personally were redeemed from Egypt, that we walked on the sands in that desert. We watched you work. The rock that went with us, the water you provided, the manna, the bread from heaven, all speak so wonderfully of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. I pray, Father, that uh, these truths would be evident, that those that are visiting and going through Seders for the first time would be blessed beyond measure. And Father, in, in addition, I pray for those that have gone through this so many times, it's almost boring. I pray, Father, that you would light a fire under us, that you'd help us to see new truths, to express it in new ways, that in the end your Son might be lifted up and glorified in so very many ways. And all God's people said, Amen. Hello, sweetie. Thank you, folks. <laughs> happy birthday! Are we going to sing happy birthday to you? Yes. Yeah. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Sylvia. Happy birthday to you.